Hello, welcome to the Kapow Radio Show. Hello, everybody. Today is November 11th, 2019. And today we're going to talk about, well, we're not going to talk, but this, this message is about the attributes of God, the immutability of God. Yeah, and don't turn it off. <laughs> Here's why I say this. You're probably thinking, I mean, right off the bat, it's like, oh, man, that sounds like some theological Bible college you know, systematic theology I don't need. But it's not. It's the not. The immutability of God is that he never changes. It's his unchangeable character. And I tell you what, um, Paul and I listened to this like two or three times. Actually twice, right? Yeah, and then we listened to pieces of it yes. um, several other times. But this particular one, we listened twice. And I'm telling you, it will just bless you to no end. And here's the deal. It's the immutability of God, right? So God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you might go, yeah, I know that. But what you're about to hear is it applied in ways that you wouldn't even think about. Like, number one, it's applied to your salvation. Now, that when he gets to that part later on in the message, I'm telling you, it will knock your socks off. One, if you ever doubt your salvation or think that you can lose it when you're when you're walking with Christ, if you really think you can lose it, this thing will will knock your socks off. Two, um, if you are secure in your salvation, this thing will bless you. Yeah, <laughs> right. It really will solidify your relationship with God, with God. and you you will have such an appreciation for Him. And his faithfulness and and his character, really, you really will have that kind of admiration for him. Yeah. I mean, I the, mean, we love him now, but after you actually listen to this and really ponder what this man is teaching, what the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit, to your heart, it will just it will just give you a whole new perspective, a whole new devotion, love, and admiration for God. Um, almighty. Exactly. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to introduce the speaker here in a bit, but one of, one of the things when we watched the introduction to this, Sorry, it, it blew my mind because he's, he's, he's talking about the attributes of God. Now, when I was in, when I, when I, um, was in, I wasn't in Bible college. I was in regular four year liberal arts college, but I was a Bible major. I, I have a BA or a, yeah, I have a BA in um, biblical studies and a minor in systematic theology. And when I was studying this, I remember taking, you know, you took courses on the attributes of God and it was interesting, but at age, you know, 19, 20, it didn't do what it does to me today. And and what I didn't realize until just recently, and, and this this teacher will put this out, especially in the, in the first one, was he talks about a high view of God. And when you have a high view of God, you view God highly. Mm -hmm. It affects everything. It affects your worship. It affects how you pray. It affects how you think, how you study the word. It affects everything. Just like if you have a low view of God, it's going to affect everything in your Christian walk. You're still a Christian, but it's how you view the Lord 
on how you, and so that, when he said that, it's like, Right away, Miss Capel and I said, "Well, we want the highest view possible. Right. <laughs> let's 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 go as high as we can, because that's what we need to affect everything in our in our daily life." That's right. Amen. One of the other things he's going to get to on the immutability of God, the unchanging of God, the salvation part was just mind blowing to me. But towards the end, and it's a long segment, he talks about it. It's truth, mm-hmm. the immutability of truth. Wow. Especially today, when you go on YouTube or you go looking for podcasters, um, you know, to to feed your soul, you will find so many people here. I'm not putting them down. I'm just making a point. But so many people here have the word truth in their title. Um, You know, there's Truth Stream Media, who I really like. I like these people, but they have the word truth. There's Truth Fed, who I really like this guy. He has a word truth. There's, you know, all kinds of truthers in the truth community. And so the word truth is thrown around a lot. But even in the truth community, not everybody is truthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he's talking about truth, he's talking about a divine truth, real truth that can only come from God. Mm-hmm. The real truth. Because he is truth. Because he is truth. And how a real believer, one who's called out and a called out one God will know the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and those, unfortunately, who are not called out or who reject the truth will say like Pilate, ah, what is truth? Mm-hmm. Because remember, our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So he is truth. So his sheep will hear his voice. They will recognize the truth. Yeah. Is what it says. And this, um, Mr. Dr. Lawson, he says um, um, that truth is uh, singular. It's, it's, um, it's objective um, is a reality and not subjective. So in other words, um, truth has precise meaning. It's not cognitive, but emotional. I mean, it is cognitive yeah. and it's not emotional, emotional, but although it produces emotion and truth is about facts, not feeling. And truth is true no matter who believes it. So just because like that one scripture that says, um, let God be found true and every man a liar. Yeah. I think that's uh, Romans 3 a because yeah. yeah. Well, I don't I don't believe that. Well, it doesn't negate the truth of it. No. Yeah. And the other thing what he talks about is just what you said there is the reality is God's reality. And the phony world system we live in is a phony world system Mm -hmm. we live in. And the other thing that I liked what he said about truth, he says truth is singular. You never read about God, the truth of God as truths. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's truth. It's one truth. It's one voice. Where if you think about liar or lies, it's plural. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of lies out there, but there's only one truth. And I really like that. That's a that. real good point. You know, I didn't even catch that. I didn't catch the, the lie part. Unless you, I did. You that's know what? wonderful. Your ears are just so in tune. <laughs> well, no, that, <laughs> no, that's good. That, that, that's what came to me. That there's yeah. a lot of lies out there, but there's only one, one truth, truth. And that's Jesus. Well, Christ, a lot, there's a lot of antichrist. Mm-hmm. That's what John says. The spirit of Antichrist says there's a lot of Antichrist, many Antichrists. Many religions. Yeah. You know, many belief systems. Yeah. But there is only one truth. Only one truth, only one Messiah. And that's uh, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Cool. Who encompasses, I mean, the Godhead, which is God the Father, 
God the Son, and then he has the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth. Wow. And there's only one spirit of truth. That's true. And that's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, why don't you tell them a little bit about, um, real briefly, what, what you're going to hear about the attributes of God. You don't have to go through every point, but... But there's like, uh, there's six points, and I can go over it really quickly. Okay. One that uh, God never changes about his character. His word never changes. His plan never changes. His salvation never changes. And then um, number five is his judgments never change. And his, uh, his truth, his truth never changes. Yes. Truth is truth. And then he goes on to truth, and there's uh, ten points. One, that truth is divine. Uh, truth is absolute. It is true. It is singular. Truth is immutable. And um, it's authoritative and it's um, determinable or determinated. Yeah. Determinative. Yeah. Yeah. So it, and what he means by that, and he'll explain this, and it's so good, is that how a person views truth, whether... It, it deter, truth determines a person's eternal destiny. If a person accepts the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth, the life and the way, and the only way to God to the Father, that determines where they will spend eternity. Mm-hmm. If a person rejects the truth of that, that determines where they will spend eternity. Mm-hmm. Truth is determinative of where a person will go for eternity. That's heavy. Yeah, it is. That's heavy. That's not just something to to flip around. That is really, really heavy. And Ms. Capel made a mistake. I left out some. So truth is divine, uh, absolute. Truth is true. It's singular. It's immutable. It's universal. It's illuminating. It's trustworthy. It's authoritative and determinative. Oh, that's good. Um, let me ask you something. Are you telling the truth right now? Yes, I am. Oh, good. Okay. Just got to ask. Yeah, you should ask. You know. Test um, the spirits. <laughs> you got to test the spirits. You know, here's another thing. This isn't this particular speaker, but we were listening to another pastor um, last week, another good guy. Uh, we'll, we'll play some of his stuff later, but he was talking about... Uh, about not every promise in the Bible, not every promise in the Bible uh, is is a promise 100% of the time. And it sounds bizarre. Yes, because he was talking about Proverbs. Yeah. And he says, you could read, like he used, for example, you could read Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And he says, that's true in general, most of the time. Mm-hmm. But we all know there's times when there's godly parents who raised their kids upright and they still turned out to be devils. Mm. But the proverb itself, the promise itself is true most of the time. But what he was saying is that you can't hold on to that as ultimate truth. Or promise. Or that promise, ultimate truth. The promises that you hold on as ultimate truth that cannot vary are as any promise or any promises that connect the character of God. So in other words, when God's, when the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, or God says then, or anything that's um, um, about his character, who God is, yeah. you can put your... Oh, it's truth. For example, Isaiah 29, 11, right? For, it says, God says, for my thoughts towards you are good and not evil. 
that you should have a future and a hope. You can take that one to the bank because God's character is tied to that promise. Right. He said it. Yes. It's not It's not true that's in Jeremiah general. Oh, it's Jeremiah. I'm sorry. I said Isaiah. It's Jeremiah. Well, you know, they, they look alike. Those two prophets always confuse because they look exactly alike. So one has like blonde hair and one's more like grayish green. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you tie that in. Anyway, that's just, a, hey, you know what? That one was for free. That was just a little bonus from the Kapals. Oh, um, God, when the Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's tied to his character. Or how about this one, Ms. Capel? For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only begotten God, son, that whosoever shall believe shall not be... Um, <laughs> shall not perish. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How about that one? That's true. You could take that one to the bank. That's always true. That's an anchor. Yeah, it's always true. So... You, nothing could ever say, uh, I don't know, it's not for me. It's, but it's God's there. character is tied to it. Right? It's funny, um, we were watching this guy, uh, Lawson, and uh, you know he was taking questions from his students, um, wannabe parents, um, pastors, pastors, well, yeah. men and yeah. women learning to be pastors. Anyway, so um, there's one gentleman who was asking him a, you know, a really deep question. Oh, and yeah, all good. that uh, Mr. Lawson said, well, if it's in the Bible, then it's true. Yeah. He has this real convoluted, like, what do you think about the blah, 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 you know? He goes, that's easy to answer. I was like, really? Yeah. The Bible said it. And so <laughs> I like that. Instead you know, of, you know, just going really into this deep yeah. explanation of things. It's just so simple. Yeah. God said it, and I believe it. Yeah. And here's a guy who could have went into a deep explanation, but he didn't. Hey, so let's introduce this this man. This is who you're going to be listening to. Um, and I really think you'll enjoy him. Yeah. His name is Dr. Stephen J. Lawson. Uh, he has, he's the founder and everything of One Passion Ministries. Now this, uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson has was a pastor for over 38 years. 38 years? 38 I thought it was 34. Wow. Well, I don't know. I might have added four years. I know. That's all right. My truth over 30 years. Though. My truth isn't divine. <laughs> Uh, I, I hit and miss. Yeah, you may get it, you may not. And my hearing is not good. Yeah. So anyway, up in uh, Alabama and Arkansas, and he is, he's kind of like a pastor's pastor. He teaches pastors. He teaches people how to preach. He teaches expository uh, preaching, how to dig out the scriptures, Right. Uh, let's see. He's president and founder of One Passion Ministries. A mis- it's a ministry designed to equip biblical ex- expositors to bring out a new reformation in the church. And before you get mad at me and Google this guy and find a bunch of bad stuff about him and why I shouldn't be listening to him, don't do it. Mm-hmm. The guy is a, he's a, a, a reformed minister mm-hmm. um, that subscribes to Calvinism. Blah, blah, blah. And you can say, Brother Capel, he's Calvinist. Oh, my Lord. Listen, there's P- I'm, I'm a Pentecostal in a biblical sense. There are people who absolutely are against Pentecostals because of the hyper-Pentecostalism, the abuse. Sometimes you'll talk to people, and if you mention the word charismatic, <gasps> they think of Bill Johnson's church or gold dust and angel and weird stuff and not... I'm, when I say charismatic, I'm thinking 1984 charismatic. You know, people who operate in gifts of the spirit, Pentecostals. There are Calvinists that are hyper-Calvinist. They're hyper. 
They're in error. Anybody can be in error in any system. That's why we just need to stay with the scriptures. All right. So if you don't like this guy, well, how do you say it, Ms. Capel? <laughs> Dr. Jay Lawson is president and founder of One Passion Ministries. He hosts the Institute of Expository Preaching in cities around the world. He's also a teaching fellow for Legionnaire Ministries. Now, people, I don't like that because that's John MacArthur, <laughs> where he serves on its board. Moreover, he is professor of preaching and oversees the Doctor of Ministry program at the Master Seminary, where he also serves on its board. Further, Dr. Larson serves as the executive editor of Expositor Magazine. Uh, he served as a pastor for, uh-oh, 34 years. I said 38. My truth is messed up. <laughs> no. Uh, most recently, he was a senior pastor of Christ Fellowship Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. We'll see right there. You can't listen to him. He's a Baptist. <laughs> That's not true. He believes John the Baptist was the Messiah. That's why they call him Baptist. No. I know. Okay. He's a graduate of Texas Tech University, BBA, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Master in Theology, and Reformed Theolo Theological Seminary with a doctorate in ministry. He's almost as smart as me. Almost. Not quite. Um, he's he's the author of 28 books. Um, I think I've written uh, 0.5. No, I've written actually, I don't know, one good one and the rest were okay. Um, but not like this guy. Anyway, <laughs> shut up, Paul. I just read the thing. Let's see. Um, so basically, he teaches uh, pastors how to preach stuff. He does have a podcast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, about expository preaching and like how to minister and stuff like that. If if you're ever interested in stuff like that, yeah, it's expositor with um, it's expositor and it's a one passion ministry. Expositor is spelled E X P O S I T O R. Mm -hmm. Expositor. Uh, I kept saying ex, uh, ex, expository, like what? What is that when you put it? Uh, when you have a, when you put a suppository. <laughs> Just kidding. But you know what? I can be funny. You are funny. You're very funny. Um, this man, I mean, he's he's very learned. He's very smart. He's very very smart. But he he puts these concepts. These mind-boggling concepts in such a way that it's easy to understand. Yeah. He simplifies it. He does. So people like me can understand it. And um, so that's why I know you, you really will enjoy this. It's really, really good. That's why I like it because if Miss Kapow can understand it, then she can explain it to me. So <laughs> and then I'm like, really? I'm always like, what did he say? What does that mean? <laughs> no. no. But uh, seriously, um, I... We know, we both know that you will, you will enjoy this. Well, you can't look at, you can't go wrong studying the attributes of God, mm -mm. who, who God is, whose character is. And this, this is not all the, this is just, he's just talking about immutability or God's unchangingness. There's a lot of attributes to God yeah. that get real heavy. You can but, uh, um, Google it, yeah. and, you know, and search it on YouTube. There's yeah. a lot of, yeah. It's it's really basic theology 101, but to really get it and apply it and really understand it and create a higher view of God in yourself, you can't go wrong with that. You just can't go wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, and th that's what I liked about that. 
So you have anything else to add? Are you looking for? No, I was just. Okay. You're, you're, you're texting your girlfriends? No, I'm not. I'm, ask, I'm looking for books on the attributes of God. See, her, see how she's doing? Why she's doing a show, she's already doing further research. She's so incredibly um, multitasking. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson, give it a shot. I think you'll, you'll like it. All right. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Ciao, babies. I can cover in this session, I do know that now I want us to talk about the immutability of God. The immutability of God means that God never changes. You and I are very fickle. You and I say we're going to do something and we don't do it. You and I intend to do something and change our mind. But God is not like us. God is immutable. Charles Hodge, the great Princetonian professor of the 19th century, wrote, an infinite and absolute being, self-existent and absolutely independent, God is exalted above all the causes of, and even above the possibility of change. Did you hear that? God is exalted above the causes and possibilities of change. So God is absolutely immutable in his essence and attributes. He can neither increase nor decrease. He is subject to no process of development or of self-evolution. His knowledge and power can never be greater or less. He can never be wiser or holier or more righteous or more merciful than he ever has been and ever must be. He is no less immutable and his plans and purposes, infinite in wisdom. There can be no error in their conception, infinite in power. There can be no failure in their accomplishment. So if God was to ever change his plans, there must have been some miscalculation to begin with. Something must have been haywire inside of God for God to now have to amend his plans or some failure on God's part to be unable to carry out his plan, to be unable to execute his purposes. But because God is all wise and because God is all powerful, no purpose of God can be thwarted. As we consider the immutability of God. We mean the unchangeableness of God. Now, there are several headings that I want to set before you. First, God is unchanging in his character. God can never be better or worse. God's character is constant. God's character is 
consistent. All of the attributes of God are forever the same. Never better, never worse. Psalm 102, verse 26 and 27. Even they will perish, referring to the works of his hands, the universe, the creation, the planet, the earth, people. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. This says that all creation is constantly changing. but never the creator. Psalm 103 verse 17 says, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Malachi 3 verse 6, for I the Lord do not change. What part of that can we not understand? For I, the Lord, do not change. By the way, the first sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon in, I have the 63-volume collection of the entirety of his body of works that have been printed. Volume 1, Sermon 1, the New Park Street pulpit is Malachi 3, verse 6. And as a 20-year-old young man, he was so profound in his introduction that that is how J.I. Packer chose to begin knowing God, is by quoting just the mere introduction of the 20-year-old Spurgeon. And it's just spiraling out of his head. He's a big godder. That's Malachi 3, 6. It's quoted in Hebrews 1.12, and like a mantle, referring to like a, a shawl or a blanket or something that would be put around one's neck and rest on one's shoulders, like a mantle, you will roll them up. And the them refers to the universe. Like a garment, they will also be changed refers to when God will create a new heavens and a new earth in 2 Peter 3. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. God is changeless. Creation is changing. Man is changing. The earth is changing. The weather is changing. The economy is changing. Politics are changing. Athletics are changing. Music is changing. Art is changing. Education is changing. Business is changing. But God never changes. James 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
There's no variation with God. And metaphorically, he is not a shifting shadow. He is unchanging in his character. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Second, he is unchanging in his word. God's word can never change, nor can it be altered. It can never fail to come to pass. God can never say one thing at one time and then change his word at another time. Right is forever right. Wrong is forever wrong. It is permanently recorded in God's word. No promise can ever fail to come to pass. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. I mean, we all lie. We started lying when we were in the crib. We wanted attention. We wanted to be picked up. We started crying as if we had a wet diaper. We didn't have a wet diaper. We were manipulating our mother to come pick us up. We were lying at an early age. God is not a man that he should lie. Man is unreliable. Man is vacillating. Man is changing his word. Nor is God a son of man that he should repent, meaning change his mind. Has God said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God's words always come to pass. God does not repent and change his mind. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever. That's a pretty long time. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. God's word is fixed, it is firm, it is nailed down, it is unchangeable, it is irrevocable. Psalm 119, verse 160, every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Matthew 5, verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law. The smallest letter is the Hebrew letter yod, which is just like an apostrophe. It's just like an eyelash cut in third. It's just like a tiny little up hanging in midair. And the smallest stroke is just a, a little dash in the middle of the letter. It's like what separates a lowercase l from a lowercase t in our English alphabet. Just that little cross stroke. 
or what separates an O from a Q. It's just, it's just a dash. That's how completely God will bring to pass everything in the word. That's why I believe in the inerrancy of scripture, the inspiration of scripture, the infallibility of scripture. Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Luke 16, 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. That's an argument from the greater, or really from the lesser to the greater. The lesser would be for the whole universe to go away. The greater would be for one stroke of one letter of one word in one sentence to pass away. That's why 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, the promises of God, they are yes and amen. God's word will never change. I think I may have mentioned Sunday, excuse me for repeating myself, but after I graduated from college, I went to law school and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I stayed up late at nights memorizing case law, constitutional law, civil law, And when I got to the final exam, I discovered they had changed the law. That drove me crazy. Why did I spend all this time studying law, memorizing law? It was, it was blood, sweat, toil, and tears. It was hard work. And then they changed the law. And what dawned on me, I'd much rather study a law that never changes. If I want to memorize this, I want it to last. God is unchanging in his word. What God said 2,000 years ago is true today. What was preached 500 years ago is true today. People talk about wanting to have a contemporary ministry. Great, preach the Bible. Nothing will be more up-to-date than the Bible. Third, God is unchanging in his plans, not only in his character and not only in his word, but unchanging in his plans. God has but one eternal purpose, one eternal decree from eternity past, and he will never deviate from it. There will never be plan B. There will never be plan C. There will never be plan quadruple Z to the 38th power. History is simply the unfolding of his one fixed plan from before time began. Theologians refer to it as the decree of God, the eternal decree of God. And it is always in the singular because it is one purpose, one plan that God has. 1 Samuel 15 verse 29 says, 
God is not a man that he should change his mind. Psalm 30, verse 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. And the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Man is continually having to alter, amend, and change his plans as his life unfolds, her life unfolds, but not God. Isaiah 40, verse 26 and 27. The Lord of hosts has planned and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? The answer is no one. Fourth, God is unchanging in salvation. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, wrote, God never relents of his electing love. So it is that the eternality of his sovereign grace is never altered. Those who think that they can lose their salvation have no concept of the attributes of God, have no concept of the immutable grace of God. As though God is an Indian giver. God gives and then takes away. Romans 8, verse 29 and 30 should be the beginning and the end of such thought. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. The group that God began with in eternity past is the group that God ends with in eternity future. There are no dropouts along the way. When I was in college, I sometimes would sign up for a class and depending upon how I did on the first two exams, I would either continue with the class or I would drop the class. If I did well on the first two exams, I would keep the class. I was trying to get in law school and trying to get my grades up. But if I did poorly on the first two exams, I would drop the class and it would no longer be on my records and I would take it the next semester. And by playing on the football team, all of my tuition was free, so I could sign up and drop out as much as I wanted to. But that's not the way salvation works. There are no dropouts in the school of discipleship. And there are no additions either. Those whom he foreknew, I don't know that time, we'll have time, perhaps tomorrow I would love to walk you through foreknowledge, but it simply means those whom God foreordained, those whom God foreloved with a distinguishing, saving love. Jacob I loved. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So those two are in eternity past. 
And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. The next two are in the present. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That fifth and final one is in eternity future. And it is the, the golden chain of salvation, five unbreakable links. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. There's no one slipping through the cracks. It is all of sovereign grace. Further, in John 3.16, God gives eternal life. If you could be saved for 10 years and then lose your salvation, you didn't have eternal life. You had 10-year life. I mean, how simple is that? If you have eternal life, guess how long that lasts? Hello? <laughs> Eternity. You know, the primary meaning of eternal life means literally the life of the ages to come. That we experience the life of heaven to come now on this earth. But it will last throughout the ages to come. John 4 verse 14, Jesus said, we will never thirst if we drink of this water. <laughs> if you never will thirst again, that means you have that satisfaction forever. John 5, 24 says, those who believe in Christ will not come into judgment. John 6, 35 says, those who come to Christ and believe in him will not hunger and will never thirst. Implied in that is the eternal security of the believer. Implied in that is the perseverance of the saints. John 6, 39, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Verse 37, in verse 39, he says, and I will raise it up on the last day. There will be none left behind, none left in the grave. John 10, verse 28, my sheep hear my voice. That's verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. In America, we would say, what part of never did you not understand? Never perish. John eleven twenty six. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. John 14, verse 16, I will send you the helper and he will be with you forever. All of these verses taken out of just one book in the Bible is an insurmountable body of evidence that argues convincingly that God is unchangeable in his salvation. If someone thinks they can lose their salvation, they do not understand the scripture and they do not understand the God of the scripture. E, God is unchanging in his judgments. Or fifth, God is unchanging in his judgments. The soul that sins, it will surely die. God, in love, issues threatenings and warnings that to die without Christ is to die without hope, is to suffer the agony of those who are tormented day and night in the lake of fire and brimstone that burns forever. There is no end to hell. 
despite what some modern Bible teachers would say. It's simply because they cannot bear the thought of the eternality and the immutability of hell. But hell will never end. R.C. Sproul has said, if you just think about that for longer than five minutes, you would almost burn a hole in your brain thinking about that. It's a mercy of God that we don't know more. <clears throat> we know enough. Does God change his mind? Some of the questions were asked yesterday about God changing his mind. There was a lot of, I know God is immutable, comma, but. And I understand that. So how do we answer some of these verses? It's already been asked about Genesis 6, verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Of course God was grieved in his heart. You think he was happy in his heart? That the entire world rose up in rebellion and that there, were only, there was only one family that had repented and committed their life to him and that the world was living in hedonism, and paganism. You think God was happy about that? Of course he was sorry and grieved. He's a holy God. Of course God knew all along he would send the flood. But that does not neuter the emotions of God. That does not negate the feelings of God. Exodus 32, verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. God did not change his eternal purpose. What God indicated were the threatenings of his judgment. In the MacArthur footnote, at this point, let me just read the MacArthur footnote under the Lord relented from the harm or the Lord changed his mind. MacArthur writes, Moses's appeal for God to change his mind, to relent, succeeded because God had only threatened judgment, not decreed judgment. A divine intention is not an unchangeable divine decree. Decrees or sworn declarations or categorical statements of not changing or relenting are unconditional and bind the speaker to the stated course of action regardless of the circumstances or reactions of the listeners intentions, and as he says intentions, he's meaning intentions as opposed to decrees. Intentions, on the other hand, from God's eternal sworn decrees. Intentions retain a conditional element. 
and do not necessarily bind the speaker to a stated course of action. If God had decreed something, God would never change. But God issued threatenings, and when the people change, God pursues a course of action that is commensurate with what he said to begin with, that if you will repent and obey, I will do this. But if you do not repent, then I will do this. And so when they did repent, God did this. But that does not in any way indicate that God changed his decretive secret will. And as God expresses this, he is doing so from man's perspective rather than from God's perspective. God's perspective is eternal. Man's perspective perspective is temporal. The other verses you can jot down, if you're wanting to have all of them, is 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11. God said, I regret that I have made Saul king. That simply means God was sorrowful, but that doesn't mean that God changed his eternal decree. 2 Samuel 24, 16 says, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it is enough, now relax your hand. That God relented simply means that God was sorrowful over man's sin and God grieved very deeply. Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. That's not God changing. That's the nation changing. Jonah 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had de declared he would bring upon them. Again, that's not God changing, that's the nation changing. It's the immutability of God. Are we not glad that God is not whimsical and changes with the mood of the moment? Are, are, are we... Do, do we not rejoice that what we believe that God has revealed to us will be the same when you're in your 40s, will be the same when you're in your 30s, will be the same when you come to your dying breath? Let's talk about the truthfulness of God. God is truthful. God is the truth. God speaks only the truth. God is the author of all truth. He is the source of all truth. He is the determiner of all truth. He is the governor of all truth. He is the arbitrator of all truth. He is the ultimate standard of all truth. 
He is the final judge of all truth. What is truth? It's one of those words that we use. What does it mean? In one word, truth is reality. It's the way things really are. All that conforms with reality is truth. Truth is veracity. Truth is actuality. Everything else is untrue. Truth is not how things may appear. Truth is not how we want something to be. Truth is not how society votes something to be. Truth is not what the majority say something is. The majority are usually wrong. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind of God, the will of God, the character of God, and the being of God. Everything that squares with God's mind and God's will is truth. Truth is the self-disclosure of God himself because God is truth. Truth is what it is because God declares it to be so. But it is not an arbitrary declaration. God does not say hot is cold or cold is hot. God declares the reality of any situation or any morality. It is what God says it is because what God says conforms perfectly and reveals perfectly what something actually really is. Let me give you some characteristics of truth. Truth is divine. Truth must come down from above. Truth is not of this world. Truth must come to this world by divine disclosure and by divine revelation. Each member of the Godhead is identified with the truth. Psalm 31, verse 5. O Lord, God of truth. That means all truth is coming from God. John 8 44, by the way, says Satan is a liar and the father of all lies, but God is the God of truth. Isaiah 65, 16 refers to God as the God of truth twice in that verse. Likewise, Jesus Christ is truth incarnate. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. Notice the definite article, the, not a truth, the truth. And the life. Ephesians 4, 21. Truth is in Jesus. There is no truth outside of Jesus. 
All truth is in Jesus because he is the truth. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. John 14, 17, he is identified as the spirit of truth. That means he is the author of truth. He is the essence of truth. He is the perfection of truth. He is the being of truth. He is the revealer of truth. He is the teacher of truth. John 15, 26, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He is the master teacher of the truth. There's only one primary teacher of the truth, and that is God. God, the Holy Spirit. All human teachers are secondary teachers, small s, small t. There is only one primary teacher of truth, and that is the Holy Spirit, capital T. Whatever God says something is, that is the truth. Sin is whatever God says sin is. Let every man be found true. Excuse me, let God be found true. Let every man be found a liar. Salvation is whatever God says salvation is. Heaven is whatever God says heaven is. Hell is whatever God says hell is. The final judgment is whatever God says the final judgment is. Second, not only is truth divine, second, truth is absolute. Meaning it is exclusive. Truth makes an, app, makes an exclusive claim whenever it speaks. Everything else is a facade, a falsehood, and a lie. Truth is absolute. The definite article, the, it is the truth. Romans, excuse me, yes, Romans 3, verse 4 is the verse, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Third, it is objective. Because truth is absolute, it must be objective. It is propositional, revealed in clearly defined words that have precise meaning. Truth is never a subjective feeling. Truth is an objective reality. It is a specific truth down to the smallest jot or tittle. Truth is cognitive. It is not emotional. It produces emotions, but it is unvacillating. It is objective. It is based on facts, not on feelings. Truth is true whether anyone believes it or not. 
Fourth, truth is singular. It is one body of truth. It all fits together. It never contradicts itself. It never speaks out of both sides of its mouth. It is not unrelated pieces. It all comes together. The Bible never speaks of truths, plural, but truth, singular. It is, it is one network of truth. There is not an aspect of truth that is unrelated to every other area of truth. It presents one diagnosis of the problem of man. It presents one way of salvation. It, prevent, it presents one plan for the family. It presents one moral ethic. It presents one history of the human race. It presents one climactic consummation at the end of the age. It is singular. It never contradicts itself. It never speaks out of both sides of its mouth. Truth always speaks with one voice. James Montgomery Boyce writes, truth is singular, it is not in fragments. It would require us to speak of truths, plural, in the sense of unrelated facts or items. Truth holds together. Therefore, there is no phase of truth that is not related to every other phase of truth. Boyce writes, all things that are true are part of the truth and stand in a proper and inescapable relationship to God who is himself the truth. That's why Jude 3 speaks of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That is why the Bible speaks of the word of God. Not a word, the word of God. It is a singular body of truth. Fifth, truth is immutable. God is truth, and God does not change. Therefore, the truth is immutable and cannot change. Truth is always truth. Truth is always fixed, steady, stable, permanent. The same from one generation to the next. The truth that I learned as a young boy is the truth I believe as an older man. That is why we love reading of the great men of the past as they preached the truth because what they preached is true today. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40, verse 8, hear it again. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of our God abides forever. Sixth, truth is universal. What's true in England is true in America. What's true in South London is true in West London. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> 
Listen, I live in the United States. Sometimes I get the idea that people who live in the South think there's a set, one set of standard for truth and it's different in the North. That's not true. Truth is true for everyone in every place, in every generation, in every century. It is true in every culture. It is true in every situation without exception. The truth transcends all societies and all peoples and all economic levels and all people groups. It transcends all language groups. It transcends all races of people. What is true in one place is true in every place. There's not one morality for the whatever culture and another morality for the whatever culture. There is not one set of standards of truth for one society, but it is entirely different for another. Truth is truth. It is universal. It is true in heaven. It is true on the earth. It is true in hell. Seven, truth is illuminating. Truth is illuminating in that it imparts light and enables one to see in a world of darkness. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Truth is so brilliant, so bright, that it enables us to see in a dark world. We are wiser than our teachers. We know more than the experts because we have the truth. Truth allows us to see the world of history, the world of politics for what it is. Eighth, truth is trustworthy. It is perfectly reliable. It is entirely dependable. You can put your trust in the truth. It is unfailing. It is sure. It is worthy of our personal commitment. The wisest thing you will ever do is to believe the truth and act upon it. John MacArthur writes, the Bible contains no contradictions, no errors, no unsound principles. The Bible is not filled with absurdities or contradictions or fantasies. It is perfectly consistent with itself and perfectly consistent with all that is true. The facts set forth in Scripture are reliable. The historical events described in the Bible are true history, not a mythical or fanciful allegory. The doctrines taught there are without error. The details of Scripture are accurate details from day one of creation to ultimate consummation of Christ's return. Scripture itself is completely free of all errors and deficiencies. Close quote. It is worthy of your trust. It is worthy of your commitment. It is worthy of your allegiance. And if I may put it in the negative, you and I would be a fool to live any other way than by the truth. Ninth, Truth is authoritative. Truth possesses the power 
to make assertive demands upon our lives. Truth is not meant to be interesting, entertaining. Truth makes demands upon our lives and it has supreme authority over our lives. We are not over the truth making judgments on the truth. The truth is over us making judgments on us. Truth is sovereign. Truth possesses the right to command our lives. Truth possesses the right to order us how to live. Truth is not only in the indicative mood, it's in the imperative mood. Truth comes not simply with a period, it comes with an exclamation point. Truth never comes with a question mark. It comes with an exclamation point. And finally, 10th, truth is determinative. Your life will be defined by your relationship to the truth. Your eternal destiny will be determined by your relationship to the truth. Did you believe the truth? Then your life will go one way and you will spend eternity in one place. If you question the truth or reject the truth or do not believe the truth, your life will go in a totally different direction and you will spend all eternity in a totally different place. Truth is that powerful. Truth is that determinative. Everyone's eternal destiny here today will be defined and determined by the truth. God is truth. And when he speaks, he speaks truthfully. And the world in which we live is a world of darkness, a world of deception, a world of fraud, a world of lies. A life of, a world of twisted reality that is no reality. It is the truth that is reality. I think we'll stop here. I'll end by just reading a verse, John 18, verse 36. John 18, 
36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, man, what is truth? To be of the truth means to be born again of the truth. It means to be birthed into the kingdom of God by the truth. It means to be the recipient by faith of the truth. And those who are of the truth hear the truth. And those who are not of the truth do not hear the truth and say, what is truth? It is a supernatural sovereign miracle if you are of the truth if you are of the truth, that you are of the truth. You have been made to hear the truth and it resonates within you. And you know the truth when you hear it and you believe the truth. And it is a work of grace within your heart. And those like Pilate who are in the world who reject any notion of the truth, reveal that they are not of the truth. Because if you were of the truth, you would hear the voice of the truth when it is spoken. Someone was asking me, why are some places that carry the banner or the name of religion so big and they're following. And I said, well, there's a difference between a congregation and a crowd. And in 1 John 4, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not a few, not a, in an isolated collection, but many. They stand in pulpits. They stand behind lecterns. And they're everywhere. You turn on TV, they're there. You turn on the radio, they're there. You go into a Christian bookstore, they're there. You drive past their church and there's no place to even park, they're there. 
Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world, that is foul spirits. Now, note verse 5. They, referring to the false prophets, are from the world. They're not from God. They're from the world, and the world refers to that evil system over which Satan reigns that is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-truth. They have to make it on emotions. They have to make it on anything but the truth. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. Their message is about how to be wealthy, how to be healthy, how to be prosperous, how to be successful. That's the message of the world. It's not the message of God. The message of God is deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. The world sends them millions of dollars. The world bankrolls their ministries. The world builds their buildings. The world buys their books. The world puts them on the New York, New York bestsellers list. Because they're of the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, we, referring to the apostles who brought the truth, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God is truth. And those who are of the truth listen to the truth and those who are of the world listen to those who are of the world so it's very important that we understand what the truth is and that we listen to the truth